This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Well, what a day in British politics. Nicola Sturgeon has resigned and you're listening to the Times Redbox Politics Podcast. It's a special edition of the podcast today. We're going to give you a roundup of the reaction to Nicola Sturgeon's resignation as it happened uh, live on Times Radio. First, we heard from Alex Massey, Times and Spectator columnist in Scotland and our very own Matt Shawley. You were asking, Matt, whether Sturgeon had SM peaked uh, in the last week or two, uh, which is, as ever, a very prescient question. But did you ha- expect this, uh, the perhaps inevitable conclusion, to come quite so quickly? I'll tell you what, it was interesting, actually. And Alex was on the show last week where we were asking exactly that question. It was after t- Nicola Sturgeon had that terrible press conference. She started the year with the idea of doing a press conference every week, and they'd gone quite well because she talked about the NHS. And last week was a real hodgepodge of a mess. She, she couldn't answer questions on the, on the trans question. She couldn't answer questions about her husband loaning money to the party that she runs. Uh, and it's interesting. I spoke to Ruth Davidson about it. Obviously, he went toe-to-toe with Nicholas Stone for such a long time as Conservative uh, leader in Scotland. She said she thought something had gone, some spark or some magic that Nicholas Sturgeon had uh, seemed to have, have, have gone. And then you sort of put that together with a, a, a sizable drop in support for the SNP and for independence, albeit still from a very high uh, base. And you, it felt like something was happening. But as it was with all these things, you don't want to be the Wally who predicts, well, I think she's going to resign next week. Uh, so you don't, <laughs> uh, not least because she's survived for such a long time. Uh, Alex, you've been banging this drum for quite some time that uh, Nicola Sturgeon's golden age was over and that the uh, the rot was perhaps setting into her administration. But did you expect it to come to uh, this sort of end quite this quickly? Uh, not this week, no. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, time is the, the ruination of all political leaders of all governments. The SNP has been in power in Edinburgh for 15 years now. Nicola Sturgeon has been First Minister since 2014. This is a long, long, uh, you know, journey that she's been on. And, uh, you know, the word that we're getting at the moment is that she's had enough. I suspect there has to be quite a lot more to it than just that, just her current political difficulties. Remember, 
the SNP is supposed to be having a, you know, uh, agenda-defining special conference next month on how to approach the next phase of the independence campaign. You know, so it's quite remarkable that the first minister would resign before that has taken place. Even though, even though I think we expect her to, you know, to hang on in office until such time as a as a successor has been chosen. You know, the the timing of this is very very strange. I mean, it was quite clear at the last Holyrood election, which remember was only a year ago, um, that you know she was you know reluctant to commit to leading the SNP into the next Scottish Parliament elections. But those are in 2026, so that, you know there's plenty of time to, if you like, line up a succession plan in advance of that. If if such if so she decided, um, you know, so it is a surprise that she is going now. It is not a surprise that she is going before the next election, if you like. Um, but the precise reasons for this, I think, are, are likely to be many and complex. Um, you know, it's speculation right now, but I think the investigation, the police investigation into the handling of the SNP's uh, party finances may have a contributory role. The decline in her own poll ratings um, obviously must be a consideration. And I think a, a general sense of political exhaustion must also be a factor. Um, you know, it's easy to forget, I think, the toll that, you know, leading um, uh, a country through COVID must have taken on political leaders, not just in this country, but across mm. the world, actually. Um, and, what, you know, once you've been through that, is anything ever quite the same again? Maybe not. Um, but, you know, if you look at it in the in the big picture from the independence point of view, you know, does she leave the SNP better off than she inherited it? Well, only up to a point. You know, it remains the natural party of government in Scotland, but, you know, she is no closer to actually forcing a referendum than she was six years ago. Um, and so on that, you know, high level, only cause that really matters to an awful lot of SNP supporters, I think you would have to say that she, you know, leaves office a failure. Uh, and this isn't the only uh, grueling experience, COVID, uh, that is, that she's experienced in the past couple of years. Obviously, there was the very public falling out with Alex Salmond, who has made several unhelpful interventions as far as mm. Nicholas Sturgeon is concerned in the past couple of weeks. Let's hear one of them now from Times Radio. At this stage, yes. But it would, At this stage. If you continue to, to conduct the argument about Scottish self-determination and Scottish independence, having this issue as the touch point and the conflict between Westminster, then it would be untenable. You must get off this issue and onto issues where, where the Scottish Parliament has vast and overwhelming support, like the, the pure poverty in our land of energy plenty, like the European issue, and like Scotland's essential right to self-determination. These are the issues where you should be battling with Westminster, where Scotland by majority is right behind you, not in an issue where Scottish support is A, divided, and B, that division of opinion is against you rather than for you. That was uh, Alex Salmon, Nicola Sturgis, uh, predecessor as SNP leader and uh, First Minister, of course, leader of the Alaba Party now, uh, saying her position uh, would soon become untenable. Uh, Matt, just as we wait for uh, Nicola Sturgeon to uh, join the hacks in, uh, in Butte House in Edinburgh, how decisive um, do you think that moment was from Alex Salmond on, the, on this very station last week? Well, I think as much as anything, it was a reminder of just how dominant Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon have been in Scottish politics for such a long time. I mean, more, more so even than sort of the Blair Brown era in, in Labour. And her departure 
um, will open up the SNP to it. It, it. Suddenly everyone will realize, oh, they're just a normal political party and they don't all get on with each other and they have different views on things. And I think, um, you know, that there's a particular reason for the long running wrangle between uh, Alex Salmon and Nicholas Sturgeon and the allegations against him uh, and so on. But I think it's, she was being criticized from all sides. It wasn't just the old independence uh, figures like Alex Salmon. It was some of the younger MPs as well, MSPs. Uh, too, like you say, we're discussing, you know, she was in a very public row with uh, J.K. Rowling on the trans issue. Big question is the return of Labour as a political force mm. and what impact that might be having on her mind. Uh, because Keir Starmer's got the Labour Party back in good shape. Anna Sarr was the most impressive leader that Labour have had in Scotland uh, for quite some time. And come the next general election, Labour were going to be the vehicle of get the Tories out. And that was going to be hugely difficult, I think, for the SNP to resist. And you do just wonder if she, she might prefer that someone else uh, carries the can for what could be quite a big political upset in Scotland. Alex Massey, just as we wait for Nicola Sturgeon to arrive in Butte House, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the you know it's been clear for quite some time that the First Minister was closer to the end of her leadership than the, the beginning and the, the days when she was seen as a, a welcome breath of fresh air after Alex Salmond and the divisions of the 2014 independence referendum, those days were long in the past. Um, uh, but, you know, there is a fundamental problem that she has had, which is that she has, you know, been telling the independence movement every six months that independence is just around the corner. Um, and it isn't. Um, and, you know, eventually that comes to comes to a head and you can't keep telling, you know, leading people up the mountain and then leading them back down it, you know, the sort of grand old Duchess of York, if you like, in certain respects <laughs> on this. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, it's been quite clear in, in recent months that, you know, she's been uh, uncomfortable with being questioned, um, you know, whether that's by opposition parties or by, or by mere journalists. Um, you know, that the, the she's been in a, a sort of what I sometimes call her late imperial phase. Um, and, you know, one way or another, uh, various you know, things have combined to, to come to a head and, and persuade her that this is the time to go. Um, it's still, a, you know, the timing is, is a significant surprise because it does leave the SNP and the independence movement leaderless, rudderless um, at a time when, you know, notionally it's on the verge of another great leap forwards. Um, and so, you know, to that extent, um, it's, it's difficult to see exactly why now um, would be the moment to go unless, you know, as I say, the police investigation into her, the party's finances or a general sense of fatigue that she doesn't have to put up with any of this anymore, um, you know, has, has, has taken over. Um, you know, it is a significant surprise, as I say, the timing of this, even if, um, you know, many of us didn't expect her to, to remain in office you know, for the next couple of years. But, you know, Matt is absolutely right that a Labour Party recovery significantly complicates things for the SNP. And, you know, that is a, a factor in the broader picture, if you like, of British politics as, as we go forward. So make no mistake, this is a very significant moment, not just for, for Scottish politics, but for politics across these islands. And the why is what we're waiting for from Nicola Sturgeon in just a moment. Alex, do you think the uh, the leadership election that we're about to, that we're about to have in the SNP is going to be fought primarily on independent strategy or is this a bigger moment of reckoning for the sort of party the SNP wants to be? 
Well, I mean, you know, the respectable uh, answer to that question is yes, of course, this should be about, uh, you, know, a, you know, a wider reckoning, a right, wider choice about what kind of party it wants to be, what kind of Scotland it envisages in the future. But, you know, let's be honest, frankly, it's the independence question, the constitutional question, which will dominate um, everything. You know, what is, you know, every candidate uh, to succeed her, uh, none of whom have anything like the name recognition that the First Minister currently enjoys, obviously, or anything like her profile or status with the public, um, you know, the, 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 all, you know, the question they are going to have to answer is, what is your um, strategy for first forcing uh, a referendum on independence and then secondly for winning it? Um, and nobody who fails to answer that question, it seems to me, is likely to have a very good chance of leading the SNP. And Matt, how do you think this is going to be? This news is going to be received in Westminster. Surely, the sound of champagne corks popping uh, in, in, you know, in Keir Starmer's office, and perhaps in uh, the department for uh, for levelling up, which deals with the relationship between Westminster and Scotland. The predominant figure of Scottish politics has resigned, and the best spokeswoman, the independence movement, has has gone, has absented the field, leaving the SNP in in disarray with big strategic questions left to answer. Yeah, this has probably done more for the court of unionism than any number of relaunches of the union <laughs> unit in uh, in Danish. I'm sure that Michael Gove is gripped to Times Radio this morning. Uh, as we know, he is a, a keen listener. I will be listening as the minister in charge of relations uh, with the devolved uh, nations. He will be, I suspect, cock a hoop uh, at, this, uh, at this prospect. The, the key thing to remember is that every uh, nudge uh, up or down in support for independence was very closely aligned to support for the SNP mm. and uh, Nicola Sturgeon and before that Alex Salmond. The, the, a vote for independence was a vote for Queen Nicola running Scotland forever. And if you remove her, suddenly the SNP is just a, a, a normal political party. With, with a patchy uh, a domestic people, record. You, you've never heard, exactly, and I think that the, the, uh, Alex is completely right, reflecting on her record. Well, what has she achieved? She's an incredible communicator. There's no doubt about that. And she's managed to keep this one issue of independence on the table for such a long time. She's no closer to getting it than she was when she took over. And I think Scots would be hard-pressed to say that Scotland is a magically better place either than it was uh, eight years ago or compared to England. You know, they've got the same problems in schools and hospitals and the care sector and so on. Um, and so I think whoever takes over is going to have a sort of a record to defend, which is not theirs, and probably not the communication of abilities of Nicola Sturgeon in order to defend it. Do you think we'll hear a defence of her record, uh, such as it exists, uh, from Nicola Sturgeon now, Alex Massey? Uh, I mean, you would think so, and if not today, then certainly in the the days days ahead, as her supporters, you know, point out her achievements. I mean, there have been some. It has to be uh, accepted. I think even her diehard, you know, sternest critics, I think, should accept that the introduction of a of a new social security agency for Scotland, uh, particularly the creation of a new benefit, the Scottish Child uh, Payment, which offers £25 a week to, you know, around 400,000 eligible children, um, uh, you know, across Scotland has been a significant achievement. You know, that is, of course, funded partly by the Barnet Formulas Largesse and by the levying of higher rates of income tax on Scots of above average incomes. But it is, I think, uh, a genuine achievement uh, in terms of pursuing a left of centre redistribution distributive uh, agenda. But once you get beyond that and so on, you know, a lot of um, the other achievements are fairly tenuous, a lot better. Uh, you know, the SNP has had a lot better, you know, its publicity machine has been rather better than its <laughs> policy machine. Um, and, 
you know, again, you circle back, of course, to the national question, which is the only one that really animates everybody in Scotland. You know, people people are upset by the state of the National Health Service or by declines in, in uh, the education system or by, you know, transport problems. But, you know, they can live with these things because such are the sort of, you know, if you like, ordinary commonplace sadnesses and miseries of political life. Um, but on the national question, that is where, you know, as Matt says quite rightly, it's on, you know, a lot of unionists are going to be in pretty high spirits today. Um, and, uh, but what is surprising is the, the, the number of yes campaigners who are also going to be quietly satisfied. Now, you know, it'd be obviously a, a terrible mistake to exaggerate their numbers, but I would suggest that, you know, one in five independent supporters will not be terribly dismayed by the First Minister's departure because they take the view that she has run out of road, run out of ideas, run out of inspiration, lack the courage, if, as they would see it, to, to really take the fight to the British establishment. And, you know, the, you come back, as I say, to this this over overarching failure, which is the, you know, Nicola Sturgeon has been promising Scots uh, every six months for the last six years, particularly since Brexit, that independence was just a matter of time, just around the corner. Well, she has obviously concluded that that isn't the case, um, because it would be a most unusual nationalist leader to choose um, this moment uh, to depart the scene if she really believed that independence was a, a plausible, feasible probability at any point in the in the near future. And if you're just joining us here on Times Radio, we're waiting uh, for Nicola Sturgeon to arrive uh, before the Scottish press in Butte House, her official uh, residence in Edinburgh's new town, uh, lovely neoclassical Georgian building uh, full of assembled uh, Scottish political journalists waiting to hear exactly why it is that the longest serving First Minister in the history of the devolved Scottish government has chosen this moment to resign very abruptly after eight years. What sort of speech do you expect to hear from uh, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, Matt Chorley? Um, she is a very, as you say, a frank and candid communicator. Oh, and sorry, we're about to hear from Nicola Sturgeon now. She's morning, just arriving. everyone. Thank you for coming along. I'm sorry to break into your half-term break. Being First Minister of Scotland is, in my admittedly biased opinion, the very best job in the world. It is a privilege beyond measure, one that has sustained and inspired me in good times and through the toughest hours of my toughest days. I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest serving incumbent of this office. And I'm very proud of what has been achieved in the years I've been in Butte House. However, since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now, that it is right for me, for my party and for the country. And so today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party.
That was Alex Massey and Matt Chorley. Remember, you can read both of them in The Times every week. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box to get yourself a digital subscription. Coming up, political reaction from all of Scotland's main parties. Plus, the polling guru, Professor John Curtis. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Times Redbox Politics Podcast. Now it's time for this. I'm joined now by Angus McNeil. He's an SMP MP. Afternoon, Angus. Good afternoon, there, uh, Earlier today at a press conference, Nicola Sturgeon cited the pressure of modern politics as a factor in her decision. Let's hear her say that. And the nature and form of modern political discourse means that there is a much greater intensity, dare I say it, brutality to life as a politician than in years gone by. All in all... And actually, for a long time, without it being apparent, it takes its toll on you and on those around you. And if that is true in the best of times, it has been more so in recent years. Nicola Sturgeon seems to have simply had enough to a certain extent, Angus McNeil. What do you think of what you said this morning? Yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, she's been eight years as uh, First Minister, and I think there have been, is it five UK Prime Ministers she's seen in that uh, period and before that, she had uh, seven years as Alex, uh, uh, Alex Ammon's deputy uh, before being anointed, if you like, as Alex's successor. Uh, so she's had 15 years uh, at the front line uh, of politics. So you can kind of understand it. She said through the interviews that she's a human being. Uh, and you can kind of understand her step uh, as a result of that. She said, I think she's got into politics since she was, was it 27 or 29, she was elected. And she's been fairly high profile ever since. So maybe she's just having different priorities in life. Uh, you've had uh, your differences over independence strategy and other other political issues with Nicola Sturgeon uh, in the uh, in the past, uh, Angus. Uh, what do you think, uh, where do you think this leaves the party in terms of uh, pushing for independence? It's raison d'etre. Yeah, I think Nicola Sturgeon, that she said it should be a matter of issues and not personalities. And that's the way I always feel about these things. And it, it, she said it was an opportunity to depolarise I think she was very magnanimous as well in, in her resignation by saying that the SNP conferences can freely and openly choose now in March uh, the best route uh, forward to independence. And of course, that leaves game on for an early Holyrood election. So we could have a decision on independence of the Scottish people uh, this year. And I think 
uh, when we take it to the issue and away from personalities and, and transient policies and whatever, uh, the overriding uh, movement of the polls uh, is for independence. But, of course, we wouldn't know either way until we have uh, an actual, actual ballot box event. Uh, and I think it's possibilities are there now for a ballot box event happening uh, later this year. So that's what you'd like to see, is it? Whoever the next leader may be, dissolve yeah, Holyrood and, and go to the country? We've got to move Scotland on. Uh, and we've got to move Scotland towards independence. I mean, there's, uh, we, we see just o- over the water from Scotland the, the success of Ireland or the success of Norway, the success of Denmark. Uh, and all the countries that are independent, Ireland, of course, becoming independent of the UK, uh, has leapfrogged the UK economically uh, per capita. And we, we need to improve life and society in Scotland. And we're not going to do that with a series of unelected governments and prime ministers uh, from Westminster that don't prioritise Scotland at all. So this is a time for Scotland uh, to take control of Scotland's destiny. Uh, and it might be quite a, a hinge moment, if you like, uh, going forward. You said you're not interested in personalities, but are there any colleagues at Westminster or indeed Holyrood with whom you've been particularly impressed that you can see stepping into Nicola Sturgeon's shoes? Yeah, I think you saw at at Westminster when uh, uh, Stephen Flynn took over for me in Blackford. I mean, the amount of journalists that asked me, who's Stephen Flynn? And then on his first performance, they went, whoa, uh, how come they'd not noticed him uh, before? And I think the same applies at Holyrood. I mean, obviously, Kate Forbes is very much in the running, but there's Jenny Gilruth, there's Ash Regan, there's Ivan McKee, and that's already today before. These guys might not be all uh, household names uh, to the journalists uh, in the lobby at Westminster, but uh, it won't take them long, and they've all got the ability to do the job, in my opinion. So uh, we're not short of talent, uh, and I just hope we don't take too long, because we don't need the the navel-gazing. We need to get somebody in place, somebody with a vision for independence, uh, and get Scotland moving on. As I say, I mean, being attached uh, to a failing Brexit, Westminster, is not the destiny for Scotland at all if we want to be successful. Uh, Ireland gives us a far better model, large and small around us, uh, from Iceland to uh, to Denmark and Norway, if you like, or, or small to our own size of 5 million. Uh, there are better models uh, than the model Scotland is currently uh, living through. And what do you have to say to people who say, well, look, Nicola Sturgeon is a great communicator, she held her office for eight years, but she ultimately didn't achieve uh, the cause for which uh, her party was set up, that is Scottish independence, and also, given her understandable, perhaps, uh, focus on the constitutional question, uh, is left a rather patchy domestic record and failing public, failing public services. What do you say to those critics, Angus Mignon? Well, I think, I think the, the, on the first part, maybe on the independence advancement, you've got to say there's a bit of uh, unlucky distractions on the go with uh, with Brexit, with the pandemic, and with the Ukraine war to a certain extent. Um, and I think on the you know the domestic record point you pick up. Well, I, I do note uh, that coming coming along from from London quite a lot. But you know there is little concern in London as to how Ireland is doing. So you know if you've got the powers of independence, you're not then stuck. Uh, with the spending decisions or a consequence of the spending decisions or a percentage of the spending decisions from uh, the Barnett formula that are rooted in whatever a, a right-wing economic extremist Tory government at Westminster does. I mean, Ireland's tax revenues over the last 10 years have gone from 44 billion sterling in today's money to 80 billion sterling. Uh, you know, if, if they were still attached to the UK, they'd be getting some Barnett formula uh, cash uh, ha- handed over to them rather than growing... Uh, their own economy and being masters of their own destiny. So there's there's a lot better uh, can be done for Scotland 
that there be any ways attached to the uh, spending decisions or the consequences of the spending decisions, or more more frequently, the consequences of the spending cuts uh, that come to us from the austerity mad Tories in Westminster. And just finally, Angus McNeil, how do you think Nicola Sturgeon will be remembered when the dust settles? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's always. Uh, it was very hard to kind of know that. I think I think she'll be seen as as a good communicator, and I think people will will remember uh, with with gratitude her uh, many p- press conferences during the tough times uh, of the pandemic, of the COVID pandemic. And I think that's a that's a a, a huge thing. Uh, you know, Nicola Sturridge has been a, a tireless worker, a great communicator, uh, and gone with approval ratings uh, that are, that any Westminster leader would be really desperate to have. Uh, so her achievements are many, uh, and uh, I think I think she's looked on positively in, in in time to come. Now, to hear from someone who spent a lot of time uh, facing off with Nicola Sturgeon, going toe to toe, Ruth Davidson, Times Radio's Ruth Davidson, the former leader of the Scottish Tories, uh, joins me now. Hello, Ruth. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. Eight years as First Minister, another seven mm. as Deputy First Minister. As you put it on Twitter uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, a hell of a shift. What's your reaction to uh, her decision to stand down? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's few people that have probably had as as many disagreements and as publicly as Nicola Sturgeon and I. But politics aside, you know, it's it's hard leaving a big frontline political job because politics isn't like other jobs. It's completely all consuming, and it's going to take her a bit of time to decompress. Um, and you know, I I wish her well in whatever she chooses to do next. As a fellow recovering politician, what's your advice to her now? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think give yourself some time and space. She's already sort of laid out the, the next kind of couple of weeks. So she's going to stay in post until the party decides what the transition is going to be, whether there's going to be a leadership election, you know, how long that's going to look like, what the, you know, what the format's going to be, the length of time that's going to take, whether it's going to be all done and dusted uh, by their mother that's going to go on beyond the Mother Day's conference and allow the runners and riders to have their place in the sun to put their pitch to the membership. So, I, I mean, she's got a, a bit of time and space, but, you know, she's she's able to now sort of turn her thoughts to what she wants to do next. And she was very clear uh, in her quite quite lengthy, actually, resignation speech um, that, that this has been her whole life pretty much since she was 16 years old, even when she was at university, even when she was started out the world of work. I mean, she went into Holyrood in her 20s and she'd been an activist and a kind of bag carrier and all the rest of it for senior SNP people even before that, when she was a student and when she was in the early part of her career. So it's, it's going to be a really big shift for her. There's no indication. I didn't hear in, in the statement whether her husband, who is the CEO of the SNP, the, the kind of chief exec, the director of the party, uh, whether he's planning on staying on so it's still going to be part of their their family life uh, or whether he's also going to take this opportunity so that there's a, a kind of a, a clean break and that they can both go off and do something else. So we, we don't really have any indication of that yet. Are you celebrating this, not, not you celebrating uh, someone else's personal decision to quit, but as a good day for unionism? Uh, is this uh, set the cause of independence back? Well, I mean, I, I think if you look at and if you heard from Professor John Curtis, I, I mean, you know, there was a point uh, in the last 12 months where yes had edged ahead of no. It has now gone back. I, d- I don't know what the the length of time that he was using and the number of, of uh, polls that he was putting together to get that uh, 5149. But the, the road of travel has been back. Uh, in staying together's uh, side of things. The last big poll that we had came out within the last week. It was 56, 
44. So, you know, um, better for the pro-UK side than, than even at the time of the referendum. So, so showing a, a great deal of slippage from its high point, but even slippage from the point at which the referendum was held. And, and look, I, I think um, if it looked as if one last push, if, if yes, we're miles in the lead or, or at least having a sustained poll lead uh, that, that looked solid, um, would she have left at this point? You know, that's that's a question for her, but I, I doubtful. I think that the two are linked. The fact that there isn't a sustained yes lead is possibly one of the reasons why she's choosing to take a step back right now. Any successes, potential successes, uh, you fear as a good unionist, Ruth? Um, I, I don't. I don't fear anyone in politics. Uh, as somebody that's gone toe to toe, not just with Nicola Sturgeon, but with Alex Salmond, uh, who is uh, potentially more of a political bruiser than than she ever was. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm I'm not really one to to be frightened of standing up and saying my piece. To be honest, Patrick, you know me well enough for um, that. Um, but I think what's what's marked is the the parties had always been very good at identifying successors in a position have a natural moment. So the first time Alex Salmond uh, resigned, John Swinney was the natural successor. Um, when there was a bit of a an issue about whether Nicola Sturgeon would take over the first time, it looked like she might get beat. Alex Salmond came back running on a joint ticket with Nicola as deputy. That's what then happened. Uh, and he became uh, first minister. She spent a period, maybe a year and a half, two years, running FMQs while he was in uh, Westminster before he got back into Holyrood because he left Holyrood at that point. Uh, he then uh, left after the referendum, she was the natural successor. It was unopposed. Nobody else stood against her. Um, it looked as if she was grooming the then finance minister, Derek Mackay, uh, to take over. He was going to be the heir apparent. But um, because he'd been texting uh, in a, an intimate way, a, a, a teenage boy, uh, he had to resign on the day he was due to deliver a budget. That's how Kate Forbes, mm. the current finance minister, got thrust into the political limelight after his scandal. And he left Parliament at the last election. And they've, they've kind of not been one. A, a lot of watchers thought that Alec, um, thought that Angus Robertson was going to be the next one off the, the rank when he got back into Holyrood. Um, that would obviously please Douglas Ross, the current Scottish Tory leader, because it, it was Douglas that beat Angus uh, to become the MP of Murray. He's already put him out of Parliament once. Um, but, but actually, since he's come back to Holyrood or since he's come to Holyrood, um, we haven't seen the kind of activity level of profile that we would have expected from someone that was a former Westminster leaders. So uh, to be honest, I think in terms of if, if anyone's going to the bookies to put on a bet, I think the field is wide, wide open. Uh, let's get some reaction then from the Labour Party. Joining me now is Ian Murray, Labour's Shadow Scotland Secretary. Good morning, Ian. Yeah, good morning. Uh, you, must, uh, you must be down the pub already. You must be thrilled. Well, I think it's first right to acknowledge the achievements that Nicola Sturgeon's had in office and that she is right that frontline politics takes a, a heavy toll. But I think today... It should be a reset for the country in terms of getting back to the issues that are important to the Scottish people and try, as Nicola Sturgeon has said in her own resignation speech, to bring the country back together. So get off the constitutional arguments and get fully focused on the health service, on education and on all the things that are devolved to the Scottish Parliament with so much power to change people's lives in Scotland. I'm not sure the First Minister was able to tell us during that entire press conference earlier on what her legacy is, because I'm not quite sure she has one. What, what what do you think she'll be remembered for, Ian? Uh, well, she'll obviously be, be remembered in the SNP for winning elections, and and but the independence uh, debate has gone backwards in Scotland. They're no further forwards than they were at the end of the 2014 referendum. Scotland's a much more divided country uh, than it was before. Her defining mission was supposed to be closing the educational attainment gap. It's got wider. The NHS is in crisis. 
Uh, nurses are on the verge of going out on strike. Teachers are on strike. The economy uh, is struggling. There is no measurable thing that has got better uh, under the First Minister's tenure. And I think she admits that herself with struggling to say what her legacy uh, would be. And I think we should all use this opportunity today and in the months ahead to hit the reset button on Scottish politics and to get back to the issues that are the priorities of Scottish people and not to divide everyone again over an obsession with the Constitution. Despite everything you say about an obsession with the Constitution, uh, a lack of a a clear uh, legacy of any measurable impact uh, as far as you're concerned on improvements to the lives of people in Scotland and the state of public services... The past two decades of uh, SNP dominance have also been a story uh, of Labour decline. What is the Labour Party's message uh, to uh, Scotland at this point in time that has given the SNP a free hand to govern for the best part of two decades precisely because it didn't trust you to govern at Holyrood or indeed represent it at Westminster? Well, I mean, the Scottish Labour Party and the UK Labour Party have simply not been good enough. But we are in a position now where we are a changed party and we are good enough. And as Sarwar's turned around the fortunes of the Scottish Labour Party, we're on 30%, 31% in the polls and improving. We're taking the fight to the First Minister in terms of all the big issues in Scotland that is important to the Scottish people, the NHS, the economy, education, transport, social care. All of these things are right at the top of the agenda. There's no doubt that Keir Starmer's turned turned around the UK Labour Party and you see his speech today with the uh, EHRC now saying that there is no case to answer uh, in terms of the uh, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party because Keir's turned that around and we're looking as though uh, we're in a good position to uh, take on the next election at UK level so the Labour Party's changed and the message to Scots uh, today and at our conference, our Scottish conference uh, this weekend will be that we have an opportunity now to uh, win at UK level to put in a UK Labour government that can transform the whole of the country, all of the country, including Scotland, to give us the opportunity to do that and to try and hit the reset button today on moving forward with a much more positive politics in Scotland that uses the powers of the Scottish Parliament to transform lives. That's an, an Asawar's message today and that should be the message that everyone should be echoing if they really believe that the Scottish Parliament should be doing good things for the Scottish people. You talk about pressing the reset button. The SNP will be looking to do that in the coming weeks. There'll be a lot of discussion about their independence strategy. Is now uh, the time to close the door on the question of another Scottish independence referendum in the coming years, at least? Well, that's not just my opinion. That would be the opinion of the Scottish people as well. All the polls consistently show uh, it's not a priority for the Scottish people. I think it's less than 30% would want a referendum in the next five years and it's even less than that on the the first minister or the the former first minister's current timetable. I'm not sure she would get the de facto referendum that she wanted at the next UK general election through her own party at this special conference she's got in March and that might be another driver towards why she's decided to stand down today. So we need to get off this constitutional roundabout. It does nobody any good and refocus the entirety of our politics about trying to do what's in the best interest of the Scottish people. And that's what our job should be. And then Asawar and Keir Starmer will be putting forward that positive policy platform across the whole of the UK and in Scotland to show that Labour are a viable alternative and Scottish voters can get behind the UK Labour Party with confidence, make sure we win the next general election and show that the UK Labour Party can transform Scotland as well as the rest of the UK. Are there any potential successes you fear, Ian Murray? 
Well, I think there was a poll out at the weekend that showed that no successor for Nicola Sturgeon had any popularity within their own party. I think the person who came out top only had 9%. So they'll go through a battle royale on this. Let's not forget their party is deeply divided at the moment. They've just gone through a process of taking out their Westminster leader, Ian Blackford, and replacing them uh, with Stephen Flynn, who wasn't the First Minister's pick to do that job. Uh, there is no doubt there is problems in the Westminster group in terms of uh, factional politics with different uh, ideas on policy and strategy and who should be leading uh, the party. So this is a very dangerous moment for the SNP as a party themselves because they, of the infighting uh, and the disunity they have in their own ranks. And uh, the next few weeks will probably bring that to its fore. These next few weeks, of course, will be dominated by leadership candidates talking about independence. Now, I'm joined by Sir John Curtis, Professor of Politics at the University of Strathclyde and polling expert for how this might play in the country. Afternoon, Sir John. Good afternoon to you. Uh, What does this mean for Scottish politics then? Or rather, what does Scottish public opinion say about Nicola Sturgeon and how might that play into where we go next? Well, to be honest, those are two slightly different questions. Let me take the first one first, which I think is probably the more interesting one of the two. Um, I think what we got implicitly from Nicola Sturgeon today was an acknowledgement that she was not necessarily in a position, not simply because of her political position, but because of also of her personal feeling that she's perhaps had enough that she wasn't in a position to take her party forward in the next stage of the uh, independence journey, as they would see it. Um, The party was due to have a conference, is still due to have a conference on the 19th of March uh, on the proposition that Nicola Sturgeon had put forward that the party should fight the next election as a de facto referendum. I think Nicola Sturgeon has become aware that there is quite considerable disquiet within the party about that proposition. And that while she might have, as she herself said, probably would have succeeded in winning the vote at that conference, given that she wasn't sure that she would want to lead her party into the next UK general election, uh, then in those circumstances, it was better for her uh, to stand out. I think what this therefore means is that, as far as what it means to Scottish policy concern, is that we're going to have a period of internal debate inside the SNP. It's already been going on, but it will now become more manifest. It will probably get mixed up with the leadership contest. Uh, We'll have a debate about how the SNP should now be attempting to prosecute independence, given that we now know that the Scottish Parliament cannot hold a referendum on its uh, own authority. Um, I mean, so far as opinion polls are concerned, well, I mean, you can decide whether the glass is half full or half empty. Uh, Yes, Nicola Sturgeon is not as popular as she was, but the truth is she is still by far and away the most popular politician in Scotland. Um, and clearly, you know, she herself has said this morning that she no longer necessarily feels that she's the best person to pursue the case for independence, uh, at least as SNP leader. I think many people will ask whether or not, however, there is anybody who will be able to step up to the plate and do the job as effectively as she has done in the last eight years. There is no obvious successor. So that leadership debate and the associated debate about the party strategy could be quite a messy one, which does therefore mean in the meantime, the SNP probably will not be talking to the wider public, will not necessarily be putting forward the kinds of arguments that might move the level of support for independence above the 50% mark. And again, Nicola Sturgeon implicitly acknowledged today 
that the level of support for independence is not yet at a level whereby the SNP could be confident about winning a referendum of any description. Let me pose two questions you've alighted on there in turn, uh, Professor Sean Curtis. The first is, what is Scottish public opinion on an independence referendum? Where does it stand now? Is there no majority for independence or no majority for an independence majority well, if, uh, if, referendum okay. today? Okay, if you take the average of the most recent polls, 49% of people say they'd vote yes to independence of the referendum, 51% say they are against. If you ask people about a referendum, if you ask about having a referendum this year, uh, 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 there's a majority against, essentially, because not all yes voters want one. Ask people whether or not they think there should be one sometime between yes, between now and 2026. Nearly all yes voters say there should be. Nearly all no voters say there shouldn't. So therefore, effectively, again, public opinion on the subject tends to be split down the middle. We are talking about a country that is deeply divided on the question of, of uh, the constitutional question. Nicola Sturgeon referred to level of polarisation in her statement this morning, and she's certainly right about that. And, it, and it's a polarisation between two more or less equally sized camps, and that does therefore mean um, that it's uh, very difficult at the moment to know how the constitutional debate is going to play out eventually north of the border. And potential successors, name recognition, the likes of Kate Forbes and Humza Yusuf, what does the public think? Well, um, we had an opinion poll at the weekend. Um, the most popular person in this opinion poll got 7%, 10% amongst SNP voters, and that was Kate Forbes. But the crucial point is there isn't uh, somebody who is widely recognised by the public, and even whether there's anybody who's widely recognised within the party as a uh, likely successor. Kate Forbes has been talked about, certainly in the longer term, as perhaps the person with the talent that's required. But, I mean, she's still on maternity leave at the moment as as as, uh, as uh, a finance minister. So this doesn't exactly come at the best of time for her. So we'll have to decide. She's got an important personal decision to make as to whether she's going to be willing to stand. John Swinney has done the job before and basically demonstrated that while he's an excellent deputy, he's not necessarily the person to be leader. And after that, it isn't entirely clear who... Going to Angus Robertson, I suspect, might well put himself into the frame. He, after all, was the leader of the party at Westminster. But to be honest, since he's been back at Holyrood, he's not necessarily made that many waves uh, with the public, even though as Constitution Secretary, he's meant to have been in job of, indeed, prosecuting the case for independence. That's all we've got time for on today's Red Box podcast. Today, you heard from Alex Massey, Matt Chorley, Ruth Davidson, John Curtis, Ian Murray and SNP MP Angus McNeil. There's a lot to look forward to over the coming days. I'm here till Friday. But in the meantime, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Red Box podcast wherever you get yours from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.